Father, I just hope today that uh, as we look at this passage that, that we take hope in the fact that no matter what situation we're in, no matter how bad we're falling, Lord, no matter where we're at in our life, uh, Lord, you're ready to, to pick us up and help us uh, to get going again in the direction that you want to lead us. And Lord, there's just so much encouragement in this passage today, and I ask that by the uh, power of your spirit, Lord, that you you uh, open our hearts to hear your word. And Lord, we just thank you for the blessings that we have through you and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us and shed his blood for us, Lord, and gave us his word and his spirit. I just thank you for him. It's in his precious name that I pray, amen. You know, one of the greatest things, for me anyway, about being a Christian is that, that uh, no matter how far I slide back to where I was before I got saved, uh, God is there to pick me up again and give me a fresh start. You know, when Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, uh, it is what the book says, it's, it's laments, it's... Uh, a book of mourning, but when he wrote that book, Israel was probably in the, the uh, worst state uh, in their entire history. Uh, they had been overrun by the Babylonians. Uh, most of the people had been killed. Uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and a remnant of the Israelites that were left were taken back to, to Babylon and into captivity, but right in the midst of that book, Jeremiah says this about the Lord. He says, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And what did he mean by that? What he meant by that was that every morning, every morning God offers us a fresh start. All we have to do to get that fresh start is be willing to give that day to the Lord. And when we're ready to give that day to the Lord, then, then the Lord wants us, wants to to bless us and, and uh, uh, give us the power to do his will. When we left off a, uh, a few weeks ago uh, in our study in Genesis chapter 34, Jacob and his clan were on the verge of annihilation. Uh, remember his sons had massacred the man of Shechem, uh, and so he looked over the ruins of the city of Shechem and he spoke these words to, to his sons. I'm looking in chapter 34 down at verse number 30. And listen to what he says. He says, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Parasites. Uh, and since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed. And you're going to be destroyed too, and I. We're going to all be destroyed. In other words, we're done for. And really, if God hadn't intervened, he was right. They were done for. Uh, uh, but they weren't done for uh, because even though this whole, Jacob and his whole clan had backslidden to this low place in their, their history, uh, they knew the Lord. Jacob, anyway, knew the Lord, and the Lord is the God of the fresh start. And so, the Lord tells Jacob, he says, he says, I'm going to give you a new start. What I want you to do, I want you to go back to Bethel, back to that place where you first encountered me, and I want to start this thing all over again. But before you go back, we've got to get some things straight. The first thing you're going to have to do, you've got to bury all of those foreign gods that are in the midst of your camp. You've got to get rid of those. 
You're going to have to wash yourself because you, you, you're stained with the blood of the men of Shechem. You're stained with your sin. You've got to clean yourselves up. You've got to purify yourself. And you're going to have to clean those blood-spotted garments. Uh, and you're going to have to put on holy garments, which was a picture of them separating themselves unto God. And when they did that, they came back to Bethel, and Jacob built an altar there, if you remember in the last chapter. And he named it El Bethel, the God of the house of Bethel. And after he builds that altar, after they buried these idols, they've cleaned themselves up, they've cleaned their garments, and they've built the altar, and they're back at Bethel. He has his second encounter with the Lord at Bethel, and God is going to give him this fresh start. Go back with me and, and at where we were last time and look at verse number 10. And God said to him, he says, your name is Jacob. Your name, everybody calls you hill catcher. They call you deceiver. They call you uh, uh, wheeler dealer. They call you a loser. That's your name. That's the name you're identified with. But that's not going to be your name anymore. Uh, your name shall now be uh, Israel. I shall call your name Israel. And then God renews the promise beginning in verse number 11 of chapter 35. God renews the promise of his birthright. And listen to what he says. Also God said to him, he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, God with all power to do everything I've promised you I'm going to do. I have the power to do it. And so here's the promise. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants after you I give this land. And so uh, he makes all of these promises to him. Uh, he, he, here is Jacob. I mean, he's in the ash heap of defeat. God lifts him up out of the ash heap. He gives him a fresh start. He makes these promises. And then we come back to where we left off last time in verse number 16. Now, when God gives us a fresh start, when God picks us up out of the ash heap of defeat, that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to get easy in our life. Sometimes they get even more difficult. I mean, uh, life never gets easy. Life is always tough. I mean, I know, I, I like what Christ, Christopherson says about aging. He says, getting old is not for wimps, and he's right. The older you get, the more trials you face. And so, so uh, it was going to be the same way for Jacob. He's got a fresh start. He's back in a good relationship with the Lord. The Lord's renewed his promises, and, and, and Jacob has this great hope. But things are going to get really, really tough for him. The first thing that's going to happen to him, he's going to lose his wife, Rachel. And that's the story we're going to see as we pick up in verse number 16. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, the house of God, and, and, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. They had to stop, and she went in to hard labor. So they come to Ephrath, uh, and she goes into labor. Uh, we know that Ephrath, it, we'll see that in a few verses, is, is Bethlehem. Uh, we know that from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that great prophecy about Jesus Christ. Remember that prophecy, uh, O you, a little among all the cities of Israel, Ephrath, Bethlehem, out of you will come the ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been from everlasting. And so, so there's that great prophecy there. And she's going she's gonna to die in the very place that Jesus is going to be born. But, 
But uh, so they have to stop. She's having this childbirth. And then in verse number 17, it says, Now it came to pass that she was in hard labor. And and she knows she's going to die. And she's worried about her child, that that her child might die. And she's in in hard labor. The the midwife encourages her. And she doesn't tell her you're going to live, but she says, Do not fear. You will have a son also. And it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called the, his name Ben-Anai, which means son of my sorrow, son of my pain. And, but his father called him Benjamin. Now, this is really interesting here because Jacob, Jacob, the old Jacob, I don't think would have said anything. When she named him Ben-Anai, he would have said, you know, you're right. Because Jacob, Jacob was a pessimist. And uh, here his, his beloved wife, Rachel, is dying uh, and, and life is not going to be the same ever again for him. And so he could have very easily said, ben I, that's an appropriate name. But he's not going to allow that stigma to be placed upon his son. Jacob had raised, was raising 11 sons before Benjamin was born, and he was pretty much a failure at raising those sons. And so he's got a fresh start now. And he's not going to let this new boy be named Ben-Oni, the son of my pain. He's going to name him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Because he's going to keep that son in his right hand. I've got a fresh start, and this time I'm going to raise my, my son right. And so, so uh, he gives him a really a really wonderful name, the son of my right hand. Then in verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, in, in, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar uh, on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this very day. And then Israel journeyed and pitched a tent beyond the Tower of Eder. Now, we don't know what the Tower of Eder is. We know that it was a tower that more than likely you could see from Bethlehem. It was large enough that you could see, and it was the place where Jacob says, look, we're going to rest. We're going to stop here. We're going to mourn Rachel's death, and then we're going to head on down to Hebron from there. But, but for now, we're, we're going to stop and and uh, we're going we're gonna to mourn her death. And then something really terrible happens here. I mean, just again, another sidelight into just how wicked uh, Jacob's sons were. These were Again, these are the 12 sons who are going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel who are going to bring forth the Messiah. But they were very wicked people. Look what happens in verse number uh, 20, uh, 22. It says that it happened when Israel dwelt in the land in that land of, uh, near Eder, near Bethlehem, that Reuben went in and laid with Billa, his father's concubine. He had sexual relationships with her. And Israel heard about it. Now, it's interesting there. We, we hear that quite often in the text that Jacob heard about it. This is Israel now. He hears about it. But, but it doesn't say he does anything about it. You know, Jacob never really did anything when his sons did evil. I mean, they did a lot of evil things, and he just stood by and basically watched. I mean, he was a pretty bad father. And he was a, let me tell you why he was a bad father. He was a bad father because he didn't discipline his children. And, and because he didn't discipline his children, you know what that tells me? He really didn't love those sons, especially those older sons. He loved Benjamin, and he loved Joseph, but but he really didn't love those older sons enough to even take the time to discipline them. And so he's a failure as a father, and that's going to cost him. We're going to see when we get to chapter 37 next week, those sons are going to turn on him, and they're going to t- 
take Joseph and sell Joseph into slavery, and then they're going to lie to him about what they've done. They're going to say that Joseph has died. And so this is going to backfire on him at some point. But, but, but I just want to go back and look at this incident for a minute and, 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 and just think about it. What an evil thing to do, to lay with Billa. Now, who is Billa? Billa was Rachel's handmaid. Uh, she was the mother of Dan and Naphtali. So she was the mother of, of uh, Reuben's brother, so two of his brothers. This is really a wicked, wicked thing to do. She was much older than him. Uh, and, and, and so you've got to ask the question, why would he do this? Well, I think there were a division between these sons. They had actually divided themselves into two clans. You had the clan of Leah and uh, Zilpah's sons. Uh, and you had the clan of Rachel and Billah's sons. So Rachel dies, and Billah's the only one left. So, so Reuben sees his dad, and his dad's 120 years old, and he's saying to himself, you know, at some point, one of these sons are going to take over, and it's going to be me. So he, he basically go in, goes in, and he marks off his territory, and he says, I'm going to have sexual relationships with Billah, and I'm going to show just how powerful I am, that I can exercise power over my brothers, and I can exercise over the power over these women, and I can even exercise power over my own father. But what a wicked, wicked, wicked thing to do. And then, and then we're given this, this the, the list of these sons beginning in the, the last part of verse 22. It says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were, were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Uh, the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Billah were Rachel's maidservant. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the sons, the sons of Billah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservants, were Gad and Asher. And the sons, uh, these were the sons that Jacob uh, bore to him in Padam Aram. What a crew of men. I mean, just think about these 12 men, and we're, given a, you know, we're just given a little bit about uh, uh, their character in the Bible that we're not given that much about, about what they did on a day-to-day -day basis, but they were a mess. I mean, just think about some of the things we've looked at that they've done. They slaughtered the men of Shechem. Uh, Reuben had an affair with his, his, his father's handmaid, Billah. Uh, Judah, we're going to see later on, has sexual relationships with his daughter-in-law, who he thinks is a prostitute. Uh, I mean, they're going to sell their brother into slavery, uh, and then they're going to lie about it uh, to their father. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, you, you, you see a little ray of hope in Joseph and Benjamin, but really they're spoiled brats. I mean, it's going to take 13 years of, of hard labor to get Joseph to the point where he's really a man of God. But, but, but God's going to do that. We're going to... We're going to see that later on. Now, when we come to chapter 36, and that's where we're heading right now, we're not obviously not going to have time today to, uh, I see Brandon looking down in, in, in frustration here, but, but uh, because he's been licking his chops for months waiting for me to get to chapter 36 and read all of these names. In <laughs> fact, he had an earlier flight today, and he changed it to a later flight so he could be here and... I would read all of these names. Now, I was going to tell you all to tell him that I read them all and, and that I did a wonderful job, but I'm not going to read all of these names. Brandon's got to do that, but I don't have to do that. Brandon's the assistant pastor. I'm the pastor. 
So when I come to an area like this, I have the power and authority to skip it. Uh, there's really no, seriously, there's really no edification in reading all of these names. Uh, so so uh, we're not going to go through every name. Th this is the family of Esau. Uh, and they were pretty much a, a, a pretty pretty uh, wicked bunch themselves. Uh, uh, and if you look at the first verse there in chapter 36, it says, now this is the genealogy of Esau. Remember that word Toledoth, I talked about that earlier. You see that throughout Genesis and really throughout the rest of the Bible. It's the marker that separates the Bible. It separates it into the genealogies that we're following and then the genealogies die off that don't lead to the Messiah. The Toledoth of the Messiah continues on all the way into the book of Revelation. So, so when you get to Esau, the reason we're getting this genealogy right here is this is it for Esau. This is the end of Esau. As far as the story goes, uh, Esau is now going to be uh, out of the picture. And so, so uh, his line is going to end, but the line of Jacob is going to continue on because it's the messianic line. Uh, it's the line of David. Uh, but here's what I want you to see here. There are a couple of things that I want you to look at here. Uh, Esau produced some pretty shady characters through his line. Uh, if you look at verse number uh, 16, you see that one of the chiefs there is Chief Amalek. You remember Amalek? Amalek is the father of who? The Amalekites, one of the arch enemies of Israel. There's another arch enemy of Israel that comes forth from, from uh, Esau. And if you look at the very last verse of chapter 36, it says, these were the chiefs of Edom according to the dwelling places in the land of their possession. Esau, and we've given this, this general generalization or the summation of, of chapter 36, he was the father of the Edomites. The Edomites, remember, they left Seir and they settled on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, when Moses comes back into the land after, after they're in slavery in Egypt, after, after the Exodus, the Edomites won't let them pass through the land. And we'll see that. They, they end up being the Edomites, the Edomites end up being, and the Amalekites being two of the arch enemies of Israel. But they fade off the pages of history at some point. They, 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 uh, they don't last forever. Uh, there's no such thing as the Edomites or the Amalekites anymore. But the nation of Israel went on. The line of Jacob uh, never ends. But here's what I want you to see. It's not because Jacob's descendants were better than Esau's descendants. Jacob's descendants, as we just saw, were pretty shady characters themselves. Uh, why then does their line continue? Because they were chosen before the foundation of the world to be part of the messianic line. So where's the boasting? You know, you and I are, 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 have been grafted into the messianic line. Where's the boasting? There is no boasting. We're all pretty shady characters. Now we can look at Esau, and, and, and like I say, Esau's lines end, and, and he was pretty shady, but he wasn't any shadier than Jacob was. But Jacob was chosen before the foundation of the world to be part of that messianic line, and so uh, his line continues on. Now, let's go back to, to chapter 35. Now, I want you all to write that down. That's the fastest chapter I've ever covered 
in my ministry. Chapter 36. Verse number 27. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre. He leaves Bethlehem and he goes to Mamre. That's at Hebron. Or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. So finally, Jacob makes it back to the promised land. The land of his grandfather, Abraham, the land of his father, Isaac. It took him 30 years to get back to the promised land in order to be, again, the heir of that Abrahamic covenant. But no sooner does he get there than his father dies. Now, it's, his father's, it's interesting, the, the narrative we're given about Isaac Remember the last time we heard from Isaac was 30 years ago, or 30 years before this, when, when, uh, when Jacob was stealing the birthright from Esau. And Isaac seemed to be on his deathbed at that point. He was, he was blind and he had bad health. And we really don't hear anything out of him after that. I, I've got to believe, because of that silence, that Isaac probably has some kind of dementia or something that set in in the last few years of his life. Because you hear of no conversations with anybody with, with Isaac after that point. And he dies and nothing's even said before his death. Uh, he doesn't even pass on the blessing. Uh, so he's pretty much silent at this point. And so, so you know, I'm, again, I'm just speculating, but it looks to me like maybe uh, he's, he's had a really rough time uh, in the final years of his life. Then in verse number 28, it says, Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, 180 years. So he lived a long time. Jacob was 120 at this point, so he's, he's, a, he's 180. Esau's, I mean, yeah, Esau's 122. They're twins. So Isaac breathed his last and died. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't say he said anything. And he was gathered to his people, being old and full of not good days, just he lived a long time is really what that says. You know, he didn't live to a good old age like you hear about some of the other uh, patriarchs in the Bible. He just lived uh, to be old and full of days. I, I wouldn't want to be like that. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, that's really interesting to me. Here you have Esau and Jacob back together again. Remember the last time Jacob had seen Esau, what happened? They had met at the brook Jabbok, and they had embraced. And uh, Esau said, well, I'm going to go on, and I want you to go with me. And Jacob said, no, no, you, you go on ahead. You know, we'll just slow you down. We'll be there shortly. He never showed up. Jacob lied again to his brother. So, so this is kind of opens up a possibility that Esau is going to be mad at Jacob, and they're going to have some kind of problem. And the old Jacob, I think what he would have done at this point, he would have he gone and I don't know if he'd even told his brother his father had died. He would have buried him and got out of Dodge before his brother came and, and did something to him. But this is not Jacob. He's finally acting. He's got this fresh start, and he's finally acting like Israel. So he stands strong, and he waits, and he meets his brother, and they bury his father together. And I really think they had a pretty amicable experience. And, and uh, we're not told any of the details, but I think they got along just fine. And so... They mourned the death of their father. And, and i got to believe their mourning was different. 
I, I mean, I, I, I got to believe that, that uh, Jacob mourned Isaac's death in a different way than Esau did. Because Jacob knew that Isaac's passing was a blessing. I mean, here was Isaac, he was old, he was deaf, he was blind, he was senile, uh, and, and his death marked the greatest fresh start of all, where his old body of corruption uh, put on incorruption, where his body of, uh, his mortal body put on immortality, and I believe Jacob believed that. Now Esau, you know, I don't know, lived that way or believed that way. We're told in, in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32, it says, Jesus speaking now, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. That's what Jesus said about God. God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, now notice when Jesus was speaking there, he didn't say, I am the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of the dead. I'm not the God of the dead, but I'm the God of the living. So he doesn't say, I'm the, I'm the God of Esau, because death for Esau was different than it was for Isaac and Jacob. Death for Esau was the end. That was it. Uh, his life was over. He wasn't going to get a fresh, fresh start. Uh, the last thing that is said about Esau that we hear about Esau other than later on we'll hear Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated but really the last narrative we get about Esau is what we read there in chapter number 36 that very last verse these were the chiefs of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possessions Esau was the father of the Edomites well where are the Edomites now? they're gone they were doomed to oblivion. They were just going to be a tool used by God to discipline the nation of Israel, and then they go off the pages of history forever. And so Esau and the Edomites all in. But that's not true of Israel. Look at chapter 37 and look down at verse number 1. I mean, Israel has this great eternal future. Uh, they don't end like the Edomites. Look at chapter 37. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan in Hebron. And, he, and look what it says here. It says, This is the history of Jacob. That's the same words that were spoken in verse 36 about Esau. This is the history. It says the genealogy, but it's the Hebrew word taladah. And, and, and really, I think better translated here, history. In 36, this is the history of Esau. You get the list of all these kids he had, and then they became the Edomites, and the Edomites go off the pages of history. But then you see here, you see, you see this marker here in verse number 37, and it says this is the Taladoth, the history of Jacob. But you don't get a list of names. What you get is some more story, because the story doesn't end here. The story continues on and on and on and on throughout the Bible all the way to the book of Revelation. When you get to chapter 20, run of Revelation, 
you see the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and on the new Jerusalem, you see the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there, and, and that new Jerusalem is an eternal city. So what's it say about the 12 tribes of Israel, those who are part of Israel? Their story goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And their story, listen to me real carefully here, their story is a story of fresh starts. That's what the Bible's all about. From this point on, it's about Israel, about the Messiah, about those who believe in the Messiah, and it's about all the fresh starts that God gives all the people of God. That's, that's all. It's, a, it's a story about us. It's a story about people whose stories never end. Our genealogy never ends. Now, your family genealogy might end, but your genealogy never ends. Your story goes on forever and ever and ever, and your story and my story is a story of fresh starts. You know, there are a lot of Christians who don't get this concept. They, they, they think somehow that you've got to... You've got to live a certain standard, and if you blow that standard, then God's done with you. You can lose your salvation. You can, you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen to you if you don't live up to a certain standard. That is not the God Jehovah. The Lord is the God of fresh starts. I don't know about you, but I need his mercies new every single day. I need a fresh start every time I get up every morning. And I go to the Lord, and I ask the Lord for a fresh start. Lord, give me a fresh start today. Look, I don't care how, how bad you have fallen. I don't care how, bad, how far you've turned away from the Lord. The Lord is the God of the fresh start. You look at Jacob. Jacob couldn't have been in a worse situation when his sons had slaughtered all of those people in Shechem. He was as far away from being the heir to the promise as, as, as would seem possible. But God brings him back to Bethel, and he gives him a fresh start. I think about Samson. Remember Samson? I mean, Samson was given this great ministry. He was to, 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 to begin to defeat the Philistines. He was to deliver the Israelites from the rule of the Philistines. And, and he did a little bit of that along the way, but he failed. At, but his, story, his life was really a story of failures and rebellion. And, 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 and he got into this relationship with his pr prostitute, Deliah, and she cut his hair. The Philistines captured him. His strength went away. They bound him up, and they blinded him. Things couldn't have gotten any worse for him. You couldn't have fallen any further than Samson had fallen. But then he came to the Lord. He said, Lord, give me a fresh start. Let me do what you called me to do. Let me destroy these Philistines. And the Lord in his mercy and grace that morning got up and he gave, uh, he didn't get up, but Samson got up and he, the Lord gave him his strength back and he pulled those pillars of the temple of Dargon down and all of the lords of the Philistines died with Samson. What a, fresh, what a story of a fresh start. I don't, I don't care how bad you've sinned. God is, the Lord is the God of the fresh start. Look at Jacob and all the sins that he committed. Look at the sins that all of his sons committed, and yet the Lord continued. Look at the sins that Israel committed. And this Bible is a story of all the fresh starts 
that God gave to Israel over and over and over again. I think of David. I think of David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, the, the king, the greatest king who's ever lived on this earth. Uh, this man, David, but yet he fell in, into this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed. And, and, and when he was confronted with that sin, uh, he repented. And he was given a fresh start. So much, so fresh. Listen to what he says in Psalm 32. He says, blessed is a man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. I mean, you can't sin any worse than David's sin. And what does the Lord do for David? He doesn't impute to him any iniquity. Now, he certainly disciplined him for that, but David was restored as king of Israel, and, and, and he was king of Israel until he died. You know, I don't care how bad you've betrayed the Lord by denying the Lord. The Lord is the God of fresh starts. I, 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 I know all of us, from time to time, we deny the Lord by the way we act in public, by the way we, you know, we kind of shrivel away or shrivel you know, into our little corner when people begin to, 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 to persecute us or to, 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 to mock the Lord. I mean, you remember Peter. Peter was there at, at, at Caiaphas' home when Jesus was being tried, and, and, and before the rooster crowed two times, he had denied him three times. And, 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 and you would think, hey, man, Peter, Peter was done for. But at the empty tomb, the angel came to Mary, and he said, Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, he is risen. And, and after that, Jesus saw him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and, 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 and Jesus doesn't even rebuke him. You know what he says to Peter? He says, Peter, feed my sheep. I've got a ministry for you, Peter. I've got a purpose for you. Feed my sheep. I've got a fresh sheep. I've got a fresh start for you, Peter. Feed my sheep. Look, I don't care if you've spent your whole life mocking the things of God, mocking the people of God. God, the Lord is the God of the fresh start. I can remember when I was a little boy and, and we would go see my uncle in New Orleans and we would, it was before, this was a long time ago, before they had I-10 down there, and we would drive down Chef Mature on 90 and we would go past the seminary, New Orleans Baptist Seminary, and I would look at that, the end of that seminary and I said, look at those nuts wasting their life. You know, serving some God that doesn't even exist, going out and they're going to give their lives and preach about some God that doesn't even exist. And I can remember when I went to seminary there that first day, and I said to myself, guess what, I'm one of those nuts now. You know, I don't care how much you've mocked the Lord or, or, or mocked the things of God or tried to stop the work of God. God is the God of the fresh starts. I mean, look at Paul. Paul, who, who, who hated the people of God. I mean, he, he thought they were all nuts. He thought Christians were nothing but nuts. He set out to put them into prison and, and, and uh, put them to death. And, and on that Damascus road, he, he met the Lord and God gave him a fresh start and he became the greatest of all the apostles. And, 
and uh, uh, he wrote a good portion of this Bible that we have in our hands. You know, I don't care if you've spent most of your life living for yourself and your life is pretty much wasted and it seems there's no hope. And maybe you're like Isaac, you're blind and your things are about over and, and you can't hear and you can't really talk. God is still the God of the fresh start. I look at the thief on the cross. I mean, he has certainly blown his whole life. And as he was dying there, he said, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. You talk about a fresh start. Coming off a cross and landing in glory, that's a fresh start. Now, if God will give a fresh start to a thief on a cross, don't you think he'll give you a fresh start if you're really ready to give your day to him tomorrow, today, the next day? If you're here today and you need a fresh start, give what's left of your life to the Lord and watch him work because he is the God of the fresh start. And he wants to give you a fresh start. I don't care where you're at today. We've got 25 minutes left. I've got to come up. Y'all just want to shut it down or you want to go to another chapter? Let's shut it down. I've never been at this early. I'm not going to make it a habit. Father, we're so grateful for who you are in Jesus Christ. And Lord, what wonderful grace and mercy are ours when we're willing to put away those idols, Lord. We're willing to let your word and your spirit clean us up. And we're willing to separate ourselves unto you. Lord, you are the God of the fresh start. Lord, we're so grateful that, that no matter where we're at in our lives today, if we're here today, Lord, if there's someone here today and, 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 and they've spent their whole life mocking you, they don't even want any, haven't, haven't want anything to do with you, Lord, and, and yet their life is in turmoil and they need you, Lord, today, let today be the day of their fresh start. But Lord, I know there's a lot of us that, that are facing situations in our life, Lord, that, that, that sometimes it makes it seem that we've come to a dead end, that there's no hope. But Lord, I ask you just to encourage us today that, with the truth that you are the God of the fresh start, that you want us all to, to, to have hope and to have the purpose and meaning in life that you want to give us. Lord, I just ask today that that, uh, that we make it the day we mark on our calendar, Lord, that, that things have changed 
And we're not going to live as Jacobs anymore, as hill catchers and wheeler dealers and deceivers and losers and pessimists, Lord. But that we're going to grab our heritage and embrace it. The heritage that we have that we are princes with and princesses walking with you, Lord. That we prevail with you by our faith. That we can stand in your presence. And Lord, that every day can be a fresh start when we're living in that sort of situation. Lord, I just ask today that you, you bless everyone here with, with an encouraging uh, word, Lord, to, to, to seek you and to be right with you and to give each and every day to you. We just ask all of that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.